Happiness is an inside job. At Happy Healthy You, Connie Bowman helps us find our way with inspiring conversations and healthy ideas for living a whole life in mind, body, and spirit. Happy Healthy You. And now here's Connie. So I was getting on a plane the other day and flying from, let's see, where was I flying? I've been flying so many different places lately, Hartford to Baltimore. And I was flying Southwest. And you guys know how that Southwest thing goes. You get your uh, letter, which is A, B, or C, and then you get your number, which is who knows, one through 60. So I happen to be B, 55, standing in line. And uh, my husband got an A. He was flying with me. So lucky Lucky A, he got on first. So B55, I'm trying to find my little place in line. And I'm like, okay, who's B54? And there was a really nice gentleman standing there. And he goes, well, I'm, I'm B51. And I was 55. He goes, but you go first. And I'm like, no, you can't let me go first. I, I'm not a butter. I'm not going to be a Southwest butter in line. <laughs> so he was so sweet. And he said, no, you go first. I, I don't really care. And we, and I tend to have these deep conversations with people I don't even know. And we started into this deep conversation. He was just ripe for the pick. And he goes, you know, life's too short to worry about who goes first in the Southwest line. I'm like, oh, my gosh, you are the you are right up my alley. Let's just. So we started this conversation about living with the glass half empty versus the glass half full. And he goes, yeah, I'm a I'm kind of a glass half full guy. And I said, oh, my gosh, you're not going to believe this. I have a podcast called Happy Healthy You. <laughs> and he was like, really? I would love to listen to that podcast. And so anyway, we continued the conversation all the way onto the plane. And I never got his name and he never got my name. But shout out to that guy getting on the Southwest plane because part of happiness, I, I believe, is living that that way with uh, a belief in the glass half full as much as we can. It's not always easy. But as much as we can, it's good to have that positive attitude. And, and, and yeah, let that person go ahead of you in the line. Because so, you don't know. You never know. You might get a shout out on the podcast. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Happy Healthy You, the podcast. I'm Connie Bowman, the host. And I've been doing this sort of as a labor of love, as a labor of positivity for the past three years. And I have been so blessed to talk to some of the most amazing people throughout the years and I just could never have imagined where this would take me. And I still don't know where it's taking me. So it's it's pretty cool. It's kind of like a mystical experiment. And today, I'm just, I did the same thing. I don't know where it's going, but I'm excited to talk to my next guest, Jeff Griffin. He is so many things. He's an author of a book called I'm Possible. Uh, he's a motivational speaker. He's a wheelchair athlete on the Utah, Utah Wheel and Jazz. He played in the 2004 Athens Olympics. He holds a Guinness Book of World Records, you guys. And he's a four-time NWBA All-Star MVP. And he really enjoys mentoring youth, distributing wheelchairs, providing peer training materials through all of his humanitarian efforts. And I'm so excited to talk to you, Jeff. Welcome to Happy Healthy You, because I kind of get the impression we've never talked, but you must be a, a glass three quarters full kind of guy. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks for having me, Connie. And, and I used to be a half empty kind of guy, and then I became the, the, the half full guy. And now I'm 
just the whole thing's full. Whether whether it's three quarters or a quarter, it, the whole thing's full. And uh, and and I love living life that way. Mm. That's so great. That's so great. Well, you have a big story to tell, so let's just jump right into it. Um, talk about what happened to you that uh, led to your being in a wheelchair and how your whole life changed in that moment. Yeah, it, it, it changed. It, it, it changed my life forever. In fact, um, a lot of people come up to me and, and when they realize that I'm married, I have four kids. I was told I was never going to have any kids. Uh, some of my friends thought I would never get married. Not because I'm in a wheelchair, just because of who I am. But uh, um, I, I did get married. I do have four kids. And when people would come and meet my wife, they ask her, "Was he always? Is he always this happy? Is he always this positive?" <laughs> and uh, she's like, "Most of the time." <laughs> and and so, but uh, but yeah, my my life wasn't always like this, and uh, and I wasn't always this this positive person. Um, but I wanted to be, I wanted to be. And so, uh, and I think that's where it begins with all of us is just our desires, our true desires. And so, you know, my, my dream and desire when I was a little kid was to play football in college. That was, that was my dream. That was my desire. I would walk around everywhere I went with a football in my, in my hand. I would go to the mall with it. I would, I would play football in the fall. I played in the spring. I played in the summer. I'd even play in the, in the uh, winter time. And some of those pass plays into the patch of powder was, was just so much fun. And, and I would lay down in my basement, throwing the ball as close to the ceiling as I possibly could, dreaming about that opportunity for, for me to go and play football at BYU. They had all-American quarterbacks. I was receiver. And what better pair and what better match than to go play um, there at BYU? And, and so I remember one time telling – one of my classmates, my dream, and I don't know if you, you've ever had this or you deal with people like this, but uh, there's a lot of naysayers out there. There's a lot of people who tell you that you can't. And, um, you, you know, you're hoping that you, you're surrounded by people who will lift you up and, and uh, let you know that you can do it and whatnot. And, and so when I told my colleague my dream, and he said, Griff, you can't. You can't do that. Oh. And I'm like, Really? Why not? And he went and he went and proceeded to down his list of reasons why I couldn't. He says, "You know, you're too short." And I'm six one. He's like, "You're too slow." That might have been true. Um, he's like, "But uh, you're not fast enough." And he even he even commented, "He's like, you're the wrong color." And I'm like, "Okay, well, thank you for uh, for helping me out with this dream of mine." Did you tell him so, to go watch the movie Rudy? <laughs> <laughs> In, in, in fact, that's interesting because I had an experience when I was when I was up there because uh, my junior year in, in high school, I come home after practice and I look on. My brother tells me that there's a letter on the, the table and it's from the legendary Hall of Fame coach Lavelle Edwards inviting me down to to campus, and I was so excited. I was I couldn't believe it. So three steps later, I was over there. I'm touching the envelope. I'm making sure that the the embossment on the envelope is real. I rip it open. And there's this letter inviting me to go down there, and it was it was a step. It was one step closer to obtaining mm-hmm. my dream. I was so excited and so ecstatic. I showed my friends. They they talked a little trash with me and whatnot. And <laughs> um, and the next day they tried to take my head off in practice because I think they're a little bit jealous. But uh, here I was. I was so excited that I was going to do this. And then when I get to to school, 
I was put on the scrub team. And not only was I put on the scrub team, I was placed in the lineman locker room. And I wasn't even around the other receivers. And so um, all the results and all the evidence and all these naysayers was starting to flood back into my head. And I'm like, oh, man, maybe I can't. Maybe I can't do this. And I experienced two plays that, that year. I experienced two plays on at, on a game. And, and you said, have you ever heard of Rudy, mm-hmm. right? The, mm-hmm. the captains told me to go out there. I ran out there on the field, and my fan club up in the stands went crazy. Like, you know, they're cheering for yeah, me. Yeah. And uh, it's my two roommates <laughs> there. Yeah, and I went out there, and I got to experience what it would be like to be on the first team, to experience what it's like to be on the field instead of on the sideline. You know, I had a jersey. I was on the sideline. I was able to hear and feel the things and, and the sounds of being on the team, but it's nothing like getting out there. Mm-hmm. and being part of the team. And, and uh, as I was running off the field, my fan club, my two roommates started chanting, Rudy, Rudy. <laughs> and uh, it was just it was just surreal. It was it was so neat that I was one step closer yeah. to fulfilling the dream. Yeah, yeah. So when did the accident happen, Jeff? In between seasons. In between seasons. Uh, so that year I was able to experience two plays. I came home. I don't, I don't care how much they, they tell you. They don't pay you enough money to play football in college. <laughs> and... Um, uh, so I figured, what do I need to do in order to make some money? Because I wanted to go back and just focus on football, and I also wanted enough money to get a bull bike. I always thought that would help me pick up on the ladies. But uh, So I decided to start my own business as a painter. Not pictures, but buildings. And business was booming. I got a phone call from Napoleon Dynamite Country. He invited me to come up and do a bid on a barn. Three days later, and $3,000 richer, I'd, I'd have enough money to go back to, to school and, uh, and get my bullet bike. So I got up early that morning, got the equipment in the back of my truck, headed up to the site, put up the scaffolding, put up the ladder. I wanted to get the tall parts over with first. And so we made it to where this 30-foot ladder was just almost at the top, and my sprayer would get up there and I'd be able to get the rest. I had my, my friend there holding the ladder. He was rattling it the ladder because he was afraid of heights and I wasn't sure if he should be up there but I'm like yeah nothing's going to happen and so I get up there and halfway up the ladder I, I yell down to my buddy I'm like hey Doug we can relate this to life step by step precept upon precept he's like shut Griff stop preaching to me <laughs> I'm like sorry about that and uh, I lift my arm above my head pull down on the lever of the paint sprayer and the paint just dribbles out the pressure wasn't turned on and so we both got down on the ground he took a breath I adjust the sprayer got back up on the scaffolding and lifted the ladder one notch higher so it reached the top. Leaned it up against the barn and headed up. And uh, my buddy yells up to me. He's like, hey, Grip, I know you're excited to go bungee jumping tonight, but you don't have a cord. And to get back at him, I'm like, shut up, Doug, stop preaching to me. <laughs> and I get to the top, and this time I can actually reach. So I lift my arm above my head, and I pull down on the lever. And that infamous feeling that everyone has felt in grade school, where you're leaning back on your chair, and you, you almost fall over or you do fall over and your stomach goes up to your mouth and down to your legs and settles in your stomach again. I, I felt that, Connie, and I, I knew things were going to change forever. Mm, wow. And to make a long story short, I fell 40 feet. I stuck the landing perfect. My legs came up, my back came down, and uh, my L1 vertebrae exploded inside my inside my body, leaving me paralyzed from the waist down. 
Wow. I'd fallen 40 feet. My dreams of playing football shattered, riding a motorcycle, shattered, going bungee jumping over. And uh, I was left there on the ground as my buddy ran to go call 911. I was left there with my thoughts. What next? What now? What do I do? And uh, that was a pivotal moment. Very, very pivotal moment. Sure, sure. Time stands still when those things happen, huh? Yeah, absolutely. In fact, uh, you know, I'm like, now what? What do I do? And looking back, hindsight is 2020. You know, everyone has 2020 hindsight. It's 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 the trick of getting 2020 foresight, being able to look ahead and, and knowing that things are going to work out, things are going to be okay. I was hoping they would, but the circumstances looked grave. It looked bleak, and you know I couldn't move my legs. I couldn't move anything. The pain was excruciating, and just the thought of not being able to fulfill my dream like I wanted it to, to be was just heartbreaking. Mm, yeah. So there's a period of physical recovery. There's a period of emotional recovery. How long did you take to recover physically? And then after that, there's that emotional part. You kind of have to wrap your brain around what's happened. Um, how long was that? You were what, 20, 20-ish? At that yes, time? I, yeah. I, was, I was 21, 21 at the time. Okay. Um, in great shape. Things were, things were looking great for me physically. And so talking about the physical healing, it took three months before I could even take my body brace off before the, the back was, was solid enough for me to do everyday activity. And so three months it took me to, to be able to do that. But the healing process took forever. The scar that they left when they cut me open from my belly button to my backbone, they went around my body and opened me up. That took years to heal and, and I still have remnants of that scar. I like to tell my kids that I was bitten by a shark, but uh, <laughs> oh, they know gosh. better. Um, and so, you know, I have some, some great glory stories to go along with that, but the, the emotional healing, I think, is, is, is really tough because people can't see it. Mm -hmm. People can't see what you're dealing with, and so it's easy to ignore because other people can't see it. And um, I mean, I wrote about this in my book. Um, I, I call them mile markers instead of chapters because the introduction is about me flying into Nepal, Kathmandu, doing a humanitarian trip. And uh, most people go there to climb Mount Everest. I was going there to be a Sherpa of sorts to help these citizens who are, who've been in wheelchairs that have been you know placed in the shadows of society. Mm -hmm. And it was neat to see Mount Everest outside the airplane. You know, instead of looking down at it, I was just looking straight out at it. Wow, and yeah. It's this idea of people conquering Mount Everest. It was it, they, Mount Everest was was said to have never been able to be conquered by human beings, mm -hmm. and uh, it was. And yeah. so here I was going to go help these people in Nepal, and so that's how my book starts: is is me flying into Nepal, the introduction with me seeing Mount Everest, and this idea of that we can conquer these Mount Everests. Yeah. We just need to know the guides. We need to know the routes, and we need to know uh, the methods to get there. And so, one of the the mile markers in my book is called stepping out of the stepping out of the sauna of self pity. Okay. And there was a moment where I really dealt with some serious, sticky 
syrupy self-pity, right? Mm-hmm. Where I just wanted to feel sorry for myself. Why me? Why did this happen? have to happen? And I was rolling down to the lunchroom. They no longer brought me the food in my hospital. This was about three weeks after my accident. And I was rolling down to the cafeteria. I was in line. I was feeling sorry for myself. The tears welled up in my eyes. They ran down my cheeks. And I was just feeling sorry for myself. Got my food. I tried to go as far away as I could from everyone else. And I happened to place my tray right across from a, uh, a convict who happened to have an aneurysm while he was working out in prison. And so he was recovering in the hospital. And in his slurred speech, as I put my tray down and he saw me crying, he looks up at me. He's like, why are you crying, dude? No. Which, which interprets, why are you crying? <laughs> and I'm like, what? I didn't quite understand that. And he's like, why are you crying? And it just snapped. Something just switched in my mind. And I looked around and I'm like, why am I crying? I noticed that there was a guy who needed help being fed because he was paralyzed from the neck down. Mm. I saw another guy who didn't have use of his limbs completely. And there was a fork taped to his hand and he was feeding himself that way, barely. And then here, here I am, I'm paralyzed from the waist down, but I have complete movement of my arms. I have complete, sen- you know, complete sensation of the upper body. I can give hugs and I can feel it. And just that simple question, why are you crying, just snapped me out of my self-pity and it brought me out of the sauna of self-pity. And I realized that, you know what? Life is great. Life is grand. There are so many things that I still can do. And so after that moment, I really haven't had another pity party in the sense that I did in the hospital. I've, mm-hmm. I've had some, some tough times. I've had some down moments. Sure. But, Connie, I've always realized after that moment that those down moments will always turn into upbeat and positive experiences. And I just have to keep on going with a positive attitude. Mm. I, I love that you said that because one of, <laughs> one of the other pieces of that conversation I had with that guy getting on the Southwest plane was he, he happened to say just what you just said. He said... You know, you can look around and see that other people have it a lot worse. And not that we should be comparing ourselves to one another, but we really do kind of need each other for that check and balance system to uh, kind of put us back in our, our place. And how grateful were you for that convict who sat across the table for you? I mean, it's just so perfect. It's just so beautiful. <laughs> It really, it really was. And what's amazing is, you know, you're talking about your your, uh, your airline trip, right? <laughs> As I travel around the country, I've come to realize that the instrument that gets the plane from point A to point B is called the attitude meter. Mm. And, and and so what I've done here is I've made a bracelet for myself because, you know, um, even the, the strongest people have moments where they need adjustment, where they, where they need sure. to fine-tune their mental attitude. And so I put on it that slogan, I'm possible. On the other side, I put on it, don't quit capital D O capital I T at the front end and uh, the back end of it. And, um, and so, you know, just that's those small little adjustments that, uh, that we need to make and those little reminders. And so, you know, these little tender mercies 
you know, this guy mm-hmm. sitting next, standing mm-hmm. next to you, just reminding you, or this convict that's reminding me. If we allow it, there's signs all around us. Totally, totally. Letting us know that uh, life is great. Mm-hmm. Life is. I love that you say that. And, and, you know, there is a certain period when we all, when we go through anything, death, divorce, uh, major illness, when there is a grieving period and we have to allow that and honor that. But yeah, there's a certain point when we start to say, okay, you know, what's up here? So maybe I want to get to the three steps to achieving your dreams, which you have outlined uh, but I, I want to talk about the importance of acceptance. So, so when was it, was it right around that time that you had that, that lunch with the convict that you started to accept where you were? Because I, I feel like acceptance is, is so important. I mean, if we stay in that state of, uh, what could be, or, you know, wallowing in that, sense of what I've lost, we never are able to really move forward. Can you talk about the importance of acceptance? Yeah, and uh, I think I would probably use the the word grateful, right? Mm-hmm. When did I become grateful for being in a wheelchair? Mm-hmm. And, 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 I, and, I, and I can honestly, honestly say, Connie, that I am grateful to be in a, in a wheelchair. And my friend kind of, you know, reminded me uh, when we went to the, the amusement park and we were able to cut the lines, go to the front of the line, go twice, and some advantages that he had never been able to experience when we when we didn't have somebody who was in a wheelchair. Um, you know, those type of little things are nice, but what I'm really talking about is being grateful for what we have, but dissatisfied, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so it's just a matter of going back to attitude, right? When you talk about accepting this, um, you know, there's nothing I can do. There's nothing I can do to change what has happened. You know, I look back and I'm like, oh, if I, if I would have, you know, taken a lift up there instead of using the scaffolding and the ladder, if I would have done this or if I would have done that, like I said, hindsight's 2020. It's, it's, it's trying to prepare plan ahead and have 2024 sight. And so that acceptance of what's happened I think is crucial, like you said. For some people it takes for takes them a long time. Some people don't even don't even get to the point where they can accept what's happening and they're always in denial. And I don't think that we can go forward until we accept mm-hmm. what's, uh, what's happened with us. And, uh, and for me, fortunately for me, it was just that moment. It was it was really that moment where my my mind just shifted, and I was able to accept what was going on. I was grateful for to be in a wheelchair. I was grateful for what I had, but I was also dissatisfied in the fact that I believed that there was more out there. And when the doctors told me that I would never walk again or never move again I was heartbroken I really was but my father gave me a different opinion he told me that I would walk again and he told me that I would run again and uh, and so just this ability to believe is is crucial mm-hmm. is crucial to be grateful for what we have 
but also dissatisfied and knowing that we can uh, we can progress. And I think that's what life is about: is to be able to progress and grow. Mm, life is progress. I love that. I love that. And hey, if you had never been in a wheelchair, you certainly would never have won the Guinness Book of World Records for the most free throws from a wheelchair. How cool is that? <laughs> you know, I never, I never expected something like that to happen. <laughs> when I was a little kid, I wanted to be like really famous, and so I thought really famous meant infamous. And uh, and then I realized that infamous is not a good famous. And uh, when the Guinness World records people came and showed up at one of our NWBA all-star games and they're like we want six people three from the east and three from the west to come and shoot free throws and when they asked me to do that they asked me and my teammate at the same time and we turned to each other and we're like we're going to win this <laughs> and uh, I wasn't planning on it and but I, but I I seized the moment I really did. I seized the moment, and I really believe it's because of the hard work that I put in before that moment arrived. I don't know how many of us um, compromise those moments because we we don't prepare, we don't visualize and plan for for greatness. Because we're all wired, we're all destined for greatness. I believe. How many free throws does it take to win the Guinness Book of World Records? <laughs> what is the number? Do you remember? Oh, I do. I, re- I do remember because uh, the sideline said that I, that I made 26. The official count was 25. And um, it, it still holds to this day. It was back in 2009, I believe, that we did that. So there's been several attempts to beat it. But um, I like to say that I have one current world record but i have won two but the the second one has been has been beaten and is in the past but uh, it's kind of fun to be able to to be in this book that that i used to read when I was yeah kid. yeah very cool you're also pretty darn good at tennis i hear yeah used to be that, one uh, singles? that's a little old a little outdated okay. I, I still like to think that i can hold my own um if you go online to youtube there was an opportunity that I had to, to go up against an NBA player um, who played for the Jazz. I'll keep his name nameless. Um, but there was two NBA players that I played against, and we were going up against Jimmy Connors. Oh, wow. He was, he was feeding us the balls, and we were trying to hit these targets. And, and uh, I, I happened to beat these two NBA players and uh, received the big, giant tennis ball. But uh, cool. if you go Jeff Griffin uh, Tennis Challenge, I get to go out there and play a little bit of tennis. Tennis is, is one of those things that I, I do just to kind of relax. It used to be one of those things that would cause me stress, but I'm mm-hmm. like, no, it, this is something that uh, lets me unwind a little bit. Wow, that's cool. Yeah, because tennis can get very competitive. So if you can kind of overcome that and allow it to be fun, that's the way I like to play anyway. <laughs> that's right. So you're mentoring youth, you're traveling all over the world, you're, you've created this motivational sort of framework for yourself. Talk about the, your three steps to achieving your dreams, because I think all of us can benefit from this. We all want to be successful, and everybody, even if they don't admit it, has dreams deep down of things that they, they really would like to get out of life, not even just achievement-wise, just 
just the the type of life that they want to live and i think so many people don't even know what the first step is so for somebody like you i think it would be gosh so inspiring to have someone like you as a coach so talk to us about your your steps to achieving our dreams now this might be an unabashed plug but uh, really the first step for anyone who's listening to to this go to griffinmotivation.com and get your free book right now and there'll be some little act invitations at the end of each mile marker that will help you along this this way but as as I mentioned earlier about my dream of playing football, I didn't realize that as I fell 40 feet and my dream shattered um, along with that fall, you know, I had, a, I had an opportunity to, to either sit down and feel sorry for myself and do nothing or get back up. And I decided to get back up. And in the process, I, I was able to sift through the pieces of that shattered dream and realize what helped me bring success prior to that act that I was a unconscious, competent person, meaning I was able to succeed and do certain things, but I didn't know how I was able to do it. I wasn't able to duplicate it in different areas of my life. You know, I think we have four basic areas in our life that we need to really focus on to make sure that we're balanced. Right? We need to I think we need to focus on our, our physical, our mental, our intellectual, and our spiritual. And so if we're out of whack, you know, I get around in my wheelchair. If, my, if the spokes in my wheelchair get out of whack, um, my wheel wobbles. Um, I can't get from point A to point B. But back to your question of what are, what are the three steps, that first step is you've got to have a definite desire. you got to know exactly what you want in life. And you have to have a definite desire. I have I have friends all the time that come up to me like, Griff, if I were to hang out with you, I know I could lose weight. I mm-hmm. want to lose weight. I think I could, I believe I could lose weight if I were to hang out with you. And in between their sentences, they take a drink from their Biggle and take a <laughs> bite from their Twinkie. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And, 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 and so, you know, I asked the question, does this person really have a desire to lose weight? And a lot of people shake their head and say, no, he doesn't. But I think he does. I really believe he has a desire to lose weight, but he has a greater desire to eat Twinkies and drink Big Gulps. Right, right. And so, and, and so we've, got to, we've got to look at our desires. Are they real? Are they burning? Are they definite? And um, a lot of times those desires can't even be identified unless we identify the second step, which is our dreams or our goals. Do we really, truly know what we want? And and a lot of people have been told so often and have experienced failure so much that they stop dreaming. They stop believing and they start accepting the reality that, that they have experienced that others have painted for them. And, 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 that's, and that's really difficult to do is to get out of that slump. Mm-hmm. What do you recommend for that if somebody is facing that kind of a slump? You know what? That's a great question because I really believe that these steps will help somebody out of their slump or over the proverbial hump. You know, sometimes you plateau, you start doing things and, and, and things are great, but you just kind of like you level out. I don't know if you've ever experienced that before. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I've experienced with weight. 
after my accident, you know, I was a football player in college. I was eating like crazy. And once I got hurt, I was laying in bed, wasn't active at all, and I was eating like crazy. And I put on probably 30 pounds. And uh, I was above 200 pounds. And, you know, I was turning into my cousin Guido. And I figured if I wanted to be healthy, if I wanted to be, you know, physically in shape and feel good physically, I needed to do some things differently. Right. So I had a desire to lose weight. I wanted to lose 30 pounds. And so I began eating healthy. And I think that's very, very important to understand is we got to stop focusing on what we don't want and start focusing on what we do want. So instead of, you know, me focusing on, I want to lose weight. Yes, that's true. I do want to lose weight. But instead of thinking about the things that I don't want, I need to start thinking about things I do want. I do want to be in great shape. I do want to be healthy. I do want to eat better. I do want to be at an optimum weight. And so we tend to become and do the things that we think about. And so it's important to make sure that we are thinking of things in a positive aspect. And so coming back to my weight analogy, I lost 10 foot pounds but then I plateaued, and and I hit that plateau where I'm like, okay, I've still been doing the same things that I, that I did to lose these 10 pounds, but now I have to get over the wall, as some of the runners might talk about, mm-hmm. or over that proverbial hump. And so it's just a matter of going back to where you began and reevaluate your desire and your dreams. and um, and Because so, maybe sometimes they shift a little bit. So that desire to change weight may, you may have been able to uh, sort of discover the essence of that, which might be to be able to get down on the floor with your kids and play with your kids or to do something that really is meaningful in a deeper way. So, so I like that. I like that you say that. So go back to step one and really kind of look deeply at your desire where those dreams stem from. Right. Correct. And going back to the attitude meter of an airplane, right? They're constantly adjusting left to right, up mm-hmm. and down. You know, there's wind currents that push the plane off. There's, there's weight adjustments that, that take place with the, you know, the, the fuel being, burned off and whatnot. So there's there's constant adjustments that's taking place from point A to point B. And and so what's important to do is a lot of people fail to do this. They think it in their minds, they believe it in their hearts, but they fail to write it down on some piece of paper and look at it before they go to bed and, and before they wake up in the morning. Right. Keep it keep it in the forefront of the consciousness, right? Right, Good. right. Because you got to push, you got to push out all that bad programming. And then, what is step three? You know, step three is 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 the one that I think that a lot of people want to get straight to, but like the least. <laughs> Vince Lombardi, one of the greatest coaches in the NFL, said that man cannot dream himself into character; he must hammer and forge one for himself. Say that one more time. He. Vince Lombardi said that man cannot dream himself into character. He must hammer and forge one for himself. Mm, okay. What does that mean to you? Well, to me, I, 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 
envision this blacksmith who is forging a sword. You know, I, I look at the great samurai who, who, who build their own swords and they fold the steel over and over and over and they put it in the fire and they burn out the impurities and they pound out the impurities and they just keep working at it until it's perfect. Mm. Okay. Yeah. And, and so this, this idea of, okay, well, I've got to get up and I've got to do something with this dream. And I love what uh, Confucius and, and Tao said about the journey of a thousand miles. You know, a journey of a thousand miles begins with one step. That first step. That's right. That's right. And 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 I and I and I, and I talked to my my um, meat eaters. You know the analogy of you can't consume a cow in one bite. And for the vegetarians, you know you can't consume your whole garden in one setting. You, you know you've got to take it a bit at a time. And so this idea of taking that first step, you've got to make a decision, and you just got to take that first step. And if that first step is to change your thoughts and to change your desires, that's where it begins. We're only a a thought away from changing our lives. Everything that we do began with a thought. If it was a negative thought or a positive thought, it it began with a thought. I think it's so important for us to change our thoughts, our thought process, because if we don't change our thinking, if we don't change the things that we're doing today, We'll continue to get the same results that we've always gotten. For someone who may not be very aware of their thoughts, now I'm a meditator. I practice um, Vipassana meditation, which is you notice those thoughts, and I have become very conscious of the thoughts, both positive and negative, that you know they sort of are in slow mo at some times, and I can just go, okay, discard that. Keep that one, discard that one. But for somebody who may not be uh, a meditator necessarily, what do you recommend for us uh, as far as picking and choosing the thoughts that uh, we want to have? I think that it's such a simple idea, but I think it's really crucial. If, if we could just kind of dig into that a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. I, I love that concept and I love that thought um, and that idea. Because if we're unaware of what we're thinking and what we're doing, we'll continue to do what right. we've always done. And, and I think it goes back to those first two steps, knowing what we want. Okay. Knowing what we truly want. And a lot of times, a simple practice with that is to write down what we don't want. Because so many people are so good at knowing what they don't want. You know, I don't know if you've ever done this. Mm-hmm. You're like, what do you want for dinner? I don't care anything. And then you throw out an idea. You're like, no, I don't want that. Right, right. Yeah. No, I don't want that. You're like, okay, well, what do you want? Well, I don't care. It's just whatever. Um, and, and, and so perhaps an easy way to do this to, to begin is to write down what we don't want. You know, I don't want to be lonely. I don't want to be negative. I don't want to be ornery. I don't want to be late. I don't um, want to eat know. kale. <laughs> My husband would say that. I don't want to eat kale. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> you know, you know, the, and, uh, and there are some things that we don't want to do that are good for us. And so we need to start saying that, yes, we need to do that. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> and so a good place to start is perhaps what we don't want to do. And then all you got to do is just take what you don't want to do and you just flip it upside down and write down what you do want to do, what you do want to become, what you, or you do want to think of. 
and that helps you. That that's a simple little task to figure out what it is that you want, what is, what, yeah. what brings you joy, what brings you happiness. So once you've identified that, then you can start identifying before you go to bed. You know, you repeat what you want before you go to bed. Um, these just these positive affirmation uh, statements that uh, will lead you down the path to obtaining that. So really, that first assignment of just finding out what you really want kind of leads to that process of being aware of your thoughts and being aware how you think. And so another assignment I would uh, recommend doing is making a list, making a, making a list of, of all the good things in your life and then making another list of all the bad things in your life. And I wouldn't be surprised that most people would have a longer list of all the bad things compared to all the good things. And, and then what I would recommend doing, and, and, uh, and I share this in one of the other mile markers of my book, is you take that list and you take whichever one you want. And if it's the negative one you want, take that one. I would recommend that you don't. It doesn't bring you happiness. It just, it just brings you misery. I would recommend that you take the positive one and you pick it up and you start to bring it closer to your eyes and you get it closer and closer to your vision until all you see is that list. And eventually what happens is if you're focusing on that positive list, it pushes out the negative one. Beautiful. And, and, and so, so what happens there is that, that simple task of writing down what you, um, what's good in your life and what's bad in your life will kind of give you an idea of, of, of what your scales, you know, your, your mental scales are at that moment. You know, how negative are you? How positive are you? That just gives you a, a measuring to begin with as yeah. a starting. Great. Life is a practice. I mean, life is, as you said, life is progress. Life is also a practice. We have to keep coming back and practicing. And I, I sense that these taking these three steps has led you to so many different achievements. I mean, you must have worked the steps to get to the Olympic team, to, to get your world record in the, in the Guinness Book of World Records. What do you think, what's rolling around in your head now as far as your mission and your, your new, newest dreams, your latest dreams for yourself? Oh, I love that. I love that question, right? I'm coming on 22 years of being in a wheelchair. So I got hurt around 21, 22. I'm sure if I went back and I did the math, I'd know exactly what it was. What it was. So, so let's just say I was 22 when I got hurt. I'm, I'm, I'm reaching my 22nd year of being in a chair, so I'm going to be in a chair as much as I have out of the chair next year. And so what I want to do and what I want to accomplish here is I – want to do 22 things that I've never done before. 22 things that I've never done before that I want to do from a wheelchair. Because in my mind, if I can do it, anyone can. You know, my English teacher told me that I would never amount to anything when it came to uh, English. I could have easily listened to her and, uh, and accepted her opinion and never written my book. Um, I practice. I've struggled. I was waiting for it to get perfect before I published it, and I realized, you know what? It will never get perfect. Mm. It will never be perfect. Just publish it. Let people enjoy it. 
Some people might not like it, and that's okay. And so just this idea, this 22nd year of being in a wheelchair, I want to do 22 things that I've never done before. For I example, love I'd love to go to Hawaii. Mm-hmm. I've always made excuses on not going to Hawaii because Hawaii to me is a big, huge sandbox. And getting around in the sand with a wheelchair is just miserable. I, I, I don't go anywhere. My wheels just spin. And it just reminds me of how disabled I can be, right? And so I'm like, man, I'm not going to go to Hawaii until I walk again. Well, so I've been telling myself that for 21 years that I'll do this when this happens. But no, I want to, I want to do things that I've always wanted to do. Like I want to go to Hawaii and I want to tube down the sugar cane canals of Hawaii. That's one thing on, on my list that I want to do. Cool. So, that sounds fun. Yeah. Right. And so another thing is I'd love to go to Vermont and eat pancakes just for the fact that <laughs> the maple trees there in Vermont oh, yeah. produce maple. And so I want to eat some fresh, pancakes in, in Vermont. And, fresh organic so, maple syrup. Yum. That sounds good. Yes, mm-hmm. absolutely. And so anyway, just simple little things like that. And um, the biggest thing here, Connie, is from day one, I, as I mentioned, the doctors told me I never walk in or move again. And, 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 there is so much evidence and so much research and so much science that says, you know what, Griff, they're absolutely right. You will never walk again. They were inside me. They fixed my, my spinal cord. They, they put a four-inch plate in there, two screws up above, two screws below. They, they sewed me up and stapled me shut. And so all the evidence would indicate that, no, I can't. I can't walk. And so I, I, I decided that I'm going to practice what I preach and preach what I practice. And so I've been doing this. I've been, I've been mentally thinking to myself that I can walk, I can move, I can do these things. And what's interesting is they, they have these uh, 3D glasses that they're using with paraplegics now. They'll put them on their eyes and they'll let them visualize and they'll suspend them in the air and, and, and they'll look down as if they're moving and they're walking. Mm-hmm. And they start getting results from this from this uh, scientific experience, experiments. And so I've been doing this for 20 years where I've just been mentally picturing myself walking again and moving again. And um, I remember practicing those steps, you know, desire, dream, and do. I remember getting on the parallel bars. And it took me five minutes to stand up. I had to have leg braces to even stay standing. When I let go of the parallel bars, I would fall. I would tip over and I, would, I didn't grab back onto them. I'd be on the floor. So all, the, all these results in my environment was telling me that the doctors are right. I'll never be able to do this. But I remember just believing that I could. And so I was looking for these small signs that we were talking about earlier. Um, whatever you look for is what you're going to find. And I started to look for these signs of improvements. I went from one second, letting go of the bars for one second, to 10 seconds, to 30 seconds, to where I was, you know, balancing myself the best I could with what with what I had. And I remember telling the doctors the improvements and the doctors looked me straight in the eyes and like, Griff, don't ever get your hopes up. You'll never walk again. You'll never move your legs again. And, and, and Connie, it's been 21 years and I can now stand up out of my wheelchair and, and I can take those 20 steps that, that I used to have a therapist 
lift up my legs, drag them forward, place them down. I can walk those 20 steps without any aid, without any braces. And just recently I got on the elliptical bike and I ran five miles on the elliptical bike. It took me an hour to do so. And, um, and so I'm just excited. I'm excited to see what's going to happen in the future. What other steps I can take to um, obtain my ultimate goal, which is to run again and to box out my son on the courts, you know, walking mm. hand in hand with my wife in the park and give my daughter piggyback rides. So that's my that's that's my ultimate dream, my ultimate goal. I feel like I'm just around the corner. It's been 21 years. It's going on 22 years. But instead of just sitting back and saying. I'm not going to do anything until I accomplish this It is silly. And so I am going to live life to the fullest. Beautiful. I I love this. I love this. And maybe everybody who's listening can join in your vision. We'll box out all those doctors who are saying never, and we can join you because there is power in that, that, uh, in numbers. So I just yes. want to ask this final question and we'll, we'll give your contact information so people can read your book and get in touch with you. But where does faith fit into to the picture for you? You know, faith is huge. I'm a religious man. I, I, I'm a believer. I believe in God. And I always thought that faith was, was just a Christian thing or faith was a religious thing. Mm-hmm. But the more I've studied it and the more I've learned about it and the more I've lived it, it's a human thing. And, and what I mean by that is faith is to believe in something that you can't see. It's to believe in the unknown. And what's interesting is you've got the opposite, which is doubt. I know a lot of people like to use faith versus fear because it has a nice rhyme. Mm-hmm. But I believe the opposite of faith is doubt. And we can have we can place our faith or our doubt. We can, we can have doubt or faith in the exact same thing, which is the unknown, right? Mm -hmm. And so faith is huge. Faith is huge for me. And, um, you know, I've I've coined for me what faith means for me on, on on a simple little phrase here. And faith is the ability to see the invisible, hope for the incredible, which will enable you to receive and achieve that which the masses say is impossible. Hmm. And um, I love to tell people that I work with, faith is the ability to reach out into the future and bring it back to the present. So you can start practicing on becoming what you're already going to be. Oh, I love that. And that just goes back to that visualization. Beautiful. What a gift you are for our happy, healthy you Listeners, Jeff, thank you so much for sharing all of the wisdom that you've just you you've taken it and just made it so accessible for all of us. And everything you've been through is just I don't know. I like to say if if I can learn from someone else without having to fall from a building, why not? Right. Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, Absolutely. I'm sorry. Anybody d- goes through that, but. Jeepers Creepers, you've certainly taken everything you've learned and made it so accessible and and understandable and and just thank you. Thank you so much. Grateful. Grateful for that. So how can people find your book and read your book, I'm Possible, and then give us the information if somebody wants to get in touch with you and learn more about your charity, 
First of all, go to www.griffinmotivation.com. That's G-R-I-F-F-I-N motivation.com. Um, and as soon as you go there on the landing page, you'll, be, you'll see me in a video. Welcome you to, to take a journey along with me, whether it's your first step or 100th step. Mm-hmm. And then there will be a little place there if you're interested in uh, receiving my book for free. It's the holiday season. I'm feeling festive. You know, you've got Thanksgiving coming up and you've got Christmas. What better way to, uh, you know, to get one for yourself and then and then maybe use, you know, your, your friend's email or whatever it is. But, uh, you know, put in your information. We'll, um, we'll have you pay for the shipping and handling, but we'll send you a free book. Um, you can do the invitations at the end of each mile marker and, and go along your own journey. And there's a contact page at my website, but in case you... I want to call me first of all, instead of going to the website, you can. It's 801-842-1213. Uh, be happy to, to come and, and, uh, and coach you personally if, if that's what you want. I really am passionate about getting in front of hundreds, if not thousands of people and uh, not just telling them how to achieve the impossible, but show them and, uh, get up out of my chair after she explains these steps that are required to do this and, and letting them see that what was said to be impossible um, is now possible. And it was, uh, and it was done with just one step at a time. Beautiful. I love that. We'll just leave it there. It's, it's amazing. So, so everyone can go on your website, learn about all of the good works you do and maybe get involved and, and maybe invite you to speak or read your book. Thank you so much, Jeff. It's been a short hour, but it's been an attitude adjustment for me. Totally, totally. That, that what is that called? The attitude adjuster on the airplane? Is that what it attitude, is? The attitude meter. The attitude meter. My attitude meter is way up, back back to positive. So thank you for that. That's, that's, that's great. In fact, uh, I, I, would love, I have some bracelets, you know, and I, I, whoever gets a book, I, I, I put one of those bracelets in there too. I got a pink and a blue one. Oh, nice. But I'll just throw one in there and... And um, after this, you can you can send me your contact information. I'd love to send you a book and a, and a bracelet as well. Awesome, thank you. Well, you're you're awesome. You're officially a member of the Happy Healthy You family. So thank you so much. I love it. I'll be uh, I'll be continually uh, updating myself with what you're doing. Good. A Journey of Hope, Healing, and Waking Up is a small but powerful book about healing from one of life's greatest tragedies, the loss of a child. It's about love and sadness and being human. The nine lessons in Back to Happy are intended to be food for a broken but awakening soul. Healing from grief and loss is possible. Finding joy again is possible. Back to Happy, in paperback, Kindle and audiobook at Amazon.com. For more information, visit backtohappybook.com.